Come on. The strong, the powerful Cynthia Delaria, CEO and COO of Rika Technology, is here on Money Savage Create. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you, George. Happy to be here. Thanks. Excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. All right. Um, personal life. Wow. Uh, <laughs> well, I started coding when I was about eight years old. Um, I love to read. I cannot get enough of books. And there was a day when I was eight that uh, we weren't going to the library for a couple more days and I'd finished all my books and my mom was taking some classes that meant she took some coding classes. And um, so I picked up a visual basic book and just kind of started looking through it and kind of got excited and got on the computer and made some stuff happen with it, you know, made some 3D graphics, animate, and then fly around the screen. I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. And it took me about three days to get to the end of that book. And then I was hooked. So um, took my first internet class when I was 12. Uh, this was in the days of, this was what, 94, I want to say. Um, and so still, no, 92. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm older than I thought. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this was in the days when the internet was really, Archie was the search engine, you know, Google wasn't really a thing. Mm. Um, there, the, the only real browser was Netscape navigator. Yeah. Um, and it was the early days and, and, uh, it was really exciting to me because one of the things that the professor showed me is how, you know, you could view source on a page. So if you found something that somebody did that you thought was really cool, which let's just be clear, really cool in the early nineties was flashing text or, um, scrolling text. If you remember that sure. or making something bigger or smaller or whatever, you know, cause there's a lot of science and math geeks, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I thought that was really cool. And so I kind of like leveled up all my web development skills and thought, Ooh, the internet, this is really cool. It's like immediate. It's right there. Anybody could see it. And, um, I thought, I thought this was just the coolest thing ever. So I spent a few years getting really good at that. I uh, got my first job as a barista when I was 15 years old in a, in a mall coffee shop. Nice. After two weeks, I went to my boss and told her, hey, I don't like this. I don't think I'm any good at it. And she said, oh, that's good. I was going to fire you because you're always telling me what I'm doing wrong in front of clients. <laughs> and I realized that I should figure out a way to turn doing the web, the web stuff and the programming stuff into making some money because I did like the I did like the paycheck. So I started building websites for business owners in my company, uh, and how I sold that was explaining to them, Hey, this web thing is like the phone book of the future. If you're not in it, you're going to be behind and you're not going to be able to find new clients and, uh, convinced a bunch of small business owners in my, uh, in my, uh, church to, um, use our company to build their websites and maintain their websites and host their websites. And uh, kind of built that into a business that about four years later, when I was 19, I was able to sell to a competitor. Nice. Yeah. And then uh, I kind of tooled around for a little while and uh, ended up starting my second company a few years later doing uh, early key encryption technology and algorithms around uh, online downloads and online updates. And uh, spent about four and a half years working on that guy. 
and then sold that when I was about 26 uh, and realized that I just have this sort of knack and understanding for business and revenue models and how do you monetize and how do you find the right market at the right time for the products that you're building. So I've helped a ton of startups, a ton of established companies introduce new products and services into the market um, with very successful launches uh, by getting clear about what they're really trying to accomplish and why. And uh, I would definitely say that the why is the most important thing um, because if you're doing something simply because you want to make more money, it's not a great why and it will come out in the product and the marketing and and how you serve your clients. Um, So professionally, that's what I do. Mostly I help small business owners turn their tech ideas into real streams of revenue in their business. A lot of small business owners, particularly in non-tech areas, hair salons, architects, vocal coaches, um, sir, uh, app, new app development, like that kind of stuff. These people, they don't, they don't know technology and it can be very intimidating, but they know their industry really, really well. So I help them understand what they need to know in technology to be able to deliver products and services in tech to their existing clients, new clients, and even solve problems in their industry or in their business. Um, And I love what I do because I get to save people hundreds of thousands of dollars on software they don't need or that no one will ever use. And I get to save them years of time in their lives and arguments in their relationships because they don't pursue ventures that will never be profitable. So I love what I do. Nice. Well, I certainly appreciate that. It's good to save hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's good to to make decisions to not pursue things that exactly right. will never be successful. <laughs> well, that's easier said than done, huh? Yes, it is. That's true. It's like that's telling true. people, hey, great baby, but it's super ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of people do relate to their ideas or, you know, as, oh, this is my baby. I have to nurture it. You know, this it's supposed to be out in the world. And, you know, I'm rarely the person telling someone that something shouldn't exist in the world. I'm more trying to get them to that place where they see what's the risk of putting it out there. Is there enough market to justify the cost and the timeline and what you're going to have to put into gathering enough of that market in order to create revenue. Um, and sometimes people look at these, look at these, uh, look at their market base in a way that's just not realistic. So I use this example. There's a company that I've been talking to and they're working on a new hotel concept that's specifically around traveling sports teams and not the professional ones because all the big, uh, chain hotels and and hotel brands serve those really well. But for little league and club sports and high school and middle school teams that travel, um, and regional teams that travel. Right. And so they're designing this hotel concept and it is brilliant. I do not want to pretend like it's not, it is brilliant. And they want to get 10% of the hotel market. Mm. Here's the problem with that. Marriott owns 92% of that market. So not only do you have to take away all the market from everybody else, you have to take 2% of the market away from Marriott, or you have to figure out a way to get away 10% of the market from Marriott alone. That's a tough sell. So with them, it's working with them on on looking at how do you tease apart what's really a, a useful chunk of that market for you to target and how much of it can you realistically get and then how do you make the numbers work inside of that, right? 
And if they get to a place where they say, well, this just can never work, then we can have a conversation about that. But I never go into it saying it can't work because I believe that if you have a spark, if you have an idea that came from somewhere, own it, bring it on and let's figure out a way to make it work and to make it create whatever the revenue or whatever the impact you want to have in the world, whatever that looks like, let's figure out a way to make it make that. Yeah. Well, I think that that's awesome. So how, how do you balance then in these conversations between the, the left and the right side of the brain, right? You've mm-hmm. got people who, who have created this thing. There's going to be emotions. There's going to be bias. Yeah. And, and then like, listen, we need to be realistic about this. Marriott owns 92% <laughs> of this and, and here's all the other competitors. Um, uh, so how, how, how does that usually go? You know, so much of the work that I do, this is going to sound so funny because I, I, I build tech companies, right? Like I help tech, tech yeah. startups, but so much, 95% or more of the work that I actually do is around mindset and people's beliefs. If in that right brain, left brain conversation, someone's belief is this has to exist. It has to exist like this. There's no other way for it to exist. That might look like an entrepreneur who is going to succeed no matter what, or it can look like an entrepreneur who's not seeing the possible pivots that open up their idea and make it a lot easier to get out there and do the thing they're supposed to do. Usually 95% of the work that I'm doing is coaching people to understand, hold on to the spark but let's find a way to pivot the idea until we open up the market and it becomes so clear and so easy to gather as much of it as we want to. And usually in 99% of cases, I can get people there every now and then there's somebody who's just like, no, I want to keep running my head against this same wall. And it's like, okay, that's, that's cool. Like, go do it. Prove me wrong. I I would love nothing more than that. It hasn't happened yet, but I am totally open to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And, and I could certainly see this in, in, in my own life and different ideas that I've had and, and, and all that and be able to identify, hey, there are so many different potential applications for this great idea. But if you're not willing to explore those and then to, to, to use your term pivot, um, then then you'll never know. And, and you can keep banging your head against the wall or you can go this way and you realize that it's much open doors. That's right. That's exactly right. It's like you can live in the padded room, but the door's not locked. Yeah. You just got to open it and walk through it. <laughs> so how, um, okay. And I, I appreciate everything you're talking about. Um, 95% of it's around mindset and beliefs. So, so is it helping people take a big step back and say, okay, let's talk about why it is you created this in, in, in the first place and what you really want it to do? Yeah. So it's actually answering three really, really important questions that a lot of times people think they know the answer to, but when we start digging in, they're like, whoa, I never thought about this. The very, very first thing you have to consider is what's the problem you're actually trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And you have to dig into that to look at all of the aspects of that problem. How are the, how's it being solved today? Who's solving it? What are they doing? Well, what are they not doing? Well, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have to be able to say, okay, now that I understand the problem, who has it? If there's 10 people on the whole planet who have that problem, probably not a great idea for a business. Right. But if we go back and tweak the problem a little bit, 
Now, all of a sudden, there's 10 million people who have the problem. There's a business there, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the problem you're solving? Who has the problem? How do they experience that problem is also part of it, too. So if they don't think that your solution resonates with them as an actual solution that's actually going to fix it for them, then it doesn't matter how brilliant it is, right? If there's no market, if if you're not able to get people on board with how you're solving the problem, it won't matter how many of them there are. So what problem are you solving? Who are you solving it for? And is it painful enough that they will spend money, change their habits, ideally both to solve it? Look, the the truth is that some people love their problem. They're so in love with their problem. For sure. And they love to talk about it and they like to complain about it. And that's like the highlight of their day. If it isn't painful enough that they're willing to solve it, it's not a good problem. Like it, it, there, there's not going to be a market there. Yeah. People do love their problems, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Some people really do. It's, it's hilarious. And, and uh, it's always interesting to me because I work with entrepreneurs who love their problem. They love the problem of complaining about how it's hard to find investors or they love the problem of complaining about how difficult it is to pitch in front of new, new people. And I'm like, are you more committed to the problem or are you committed to getting to the the root of it and solving it and getting some new investment capital? Like, what are you more committed to? Right. Which is more important. All right. So, so I think that these are, these are amazing questions that people can ask themselves. If, and are, are, are you trying to figure out, okay, which pivot point is going to work? And if you, if you come up with six, is that too many? Like for example, um, well, I don't know. I don't know what 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 a good example would be. Perhaps it's just <laughs> figuring out what the who the perfect end user is and how to get it to them. Um, if it's That's going right. through travel agents or it's going to directly to these traveling teams to go back to that hotel example, how do you right. how, how, how do you figure out how many different avenues to to pursue? I talk to people. So my entrepreneurs are typically having between 30 and 150 conversations with their ideal end user when they're working with me. Some people, the problem they solve is super clear. The market's really clear. It's really clear based on a competitive analysis that there's space for improvement there. And we can narrow that in and they can talk to 20 or 30 people and we can really, really get clear. Some people, if they if their problem set is too narrow or the market really isn't there and we have to pursue some other pivot points, sometimes they need to talk to 100, 120, 150 people to really get who's their ideal user and what's the problem they really have. Um, but you can't do it in isolation and you can't do it on data and research alone. You've got to talk to people. You've got to talk to real, actual people in an unbiased way and you have to listen. So 95% of your job when you're talking to them is listening. Um, otherwise, you're not. You're still going to be living in your belief of what, what should be out there in the world. It's kind of like, yeah, you can build a sales pitch that would sell it to you. <laughs> but if it only sells it to you, you I mean, are you going to make your own million dollars from right. yourself? I yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Going to keep selling to myself over and over again. Yeah, that's right. I get that's it. Right. And that's right. That's certainly. Okay. I mean, so the, all that intellectually makes sense. Then how hard is it for, for to, to get people to actually take that step into heart, start having those conversations? Um, usually the the most difficult piece is getting people to think in and ask questions in an unbiased way. So we do quite a bit of work around designing validation interviews. 
And a lot of times people say, okay, these are the kind of questions I want to ask. And I say, okay, we're going to take a step back. We're going to remove all of our assumptions about what we wish people would say about this. And now I want you to look at your questions again. And they're like, oh, they're full of assumptions and they're full of bias. It's like, yep, so let's, let's redesign this to remove that bias so that you're legitimately and, and sincerely asking questions from a place of not introducing perspectives or concepts, but really interested in what is the actual answer from real people. And that's the hardest part for people is removing their bias and learning how to have conversations that don't introduce solutions, but that ask questions. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I can. It's just so hard for people. And, and <laughs> I speak from, from absolute personal experience to be able to, to take that step back and to take that's away right. all those preconceived notions and, and assumptions and biases exactly right yeah and so that's really one of the huge pieces of value that you're bringing to these relationships is to be able to take a step back and get, right. get it get out of your own head get out of your own way that's right it's exactly right it's exactly right and it's really important because you have to be able to hear what your audience is trying to tell you that's the way that that's the way that companies get big and make a lot of money and uh, have a huge impact and really solve a person's problem is by actually listening. And that doesn't stop, by the way, in case you're a company that's been up and running for a while and you're like, oh, we're struggling because our attrition rate is too high. You need to be listening to your customers all along the journey. If you want to know where you're, what you should build next or what features you're supposed to put in next or you know, what's the next biggest problem you should solve, you should be asking your customers. They're the ones who, who already are getting value out of what you're doing keeping them, having that world-class support, having those touch points where they get to say what would provide value next. That it's the best sales strategy that exists on the planet. <laughs> you mean I have to continue to listen, not just you do. One Gosh. That's right. I know it's such a bummer, <laughs> especially for entrepreneurs, right? Like we are the visionaries. We see the possibility. We see the answer. Our goal is to get is to figure out what's the gap between here and the vision. And that's talking to people and figuring out how do I get them on board with my vision? What's the thing that's stopping them from seeing that vision today? And that takes listening. Yeah, I love it. Well, Cynthia, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Um, I would say yeah, I'm going to say it again. The more that you are listening, the more that you are holding holding two spaces at once, and this is going to sound kind of contradictory, but I promise that it's not. The one space is holding the spark, holding the vision, holding the intention of the impact that you want to make in the world, and separately holding the space for being a great listener for the people who you want to have the impact with. Because the merging of those two things, where they cross, that is magic. That is how startups go from nothing to a billion dollars in 10 years every single time, is they found that merging between the vision, the spark, that future impact, and where people are now. Like that is great stuff. That definitely gets, come on, come on. There it is at the intersection of those two things. That's that's where it happens. I love it. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? How can they engage? 
The best place to get started is at our website, uh, which is rikatech.com, R-A-I-K-A-T-E-C-H.com. And you can get to our social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of our groups. Everything goes from there. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Cynthia your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to rikatech.com. That's R-A-I-K-A-T-E-C-H.com. List that in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Cynthia. Thanks so much, George. Such a pleasure. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right.